unknown. Mystery. Space. Science. Have fun. Adventure. Suspense. Fantasy. Nameless, unreasoning, unjustified terror. Welcome to journey number 168 of the Journey Into podcast, featuring a Tales from the Crypt episode titled Tight Grip, as presented by Seeing Ear Theater. I am your guide in this journey, Marshall Latham, coming to you from base camp in the Treasure Valley. Hello everybody, thank you for joining me on this journey in October. (laughs) Happy to have you along. I'm pretty excited about this episode because it, for me, was a new discovery. It's one of those great surprises that happen every once in a while when you discover something that's really cool that you didn't know existed. And I was listening to another podcast and they were talking about Tales from the Crypt, the HBO TV series. And, you know, it's based on a comic from the 1950s titled Tales from the Crypt. I think it was by EC Comics. And they were talking about it. They said, hey, did you ever listen to those radio episodes? And they started talking about some of those episodes, including the one you're going to hear today. And my mind was just blown. I was like, what? There was a Tales from the Crypt radio series? Oh, my gosh, I have to seek these out and figure out where they're at. And I found them. (laughs) And it turns out that they were produced by Seeing Ear Theater, which I've played several times on this podcast uh, not too long ago. Like a few months ago, I did the uh, Murder Mysteries, the Neil Gaiman story that was produced by Seeing Ear Theater. And so I'm like, how come I never knew about these? How come I never knew about these Tales from the Crypt episodes? And so I started listening and enjoying what I was hearing. One of the coolest things about it is that uh, they got John Kassir, who's the voice of the Crypt Keeper, to do these episodes. And so you have an intro from the Crypt Keeper and the little remarks at the end of the story. And so that's great. I mean, that makes it authentic. That makes That makes it perfect. And I guess most of the producers from the HBO series Uh, were part of this as well. So that's kind of neat. And so I was listening through the episodes, coming up with what I was going to put up on Patreon as a poll for my Patreon members to vote on which Tales from the Crypt radio episode they wanted to hear. And then I heard this story. And I'm like, man, I don't think I want to leave this one to chance. I think I'm going to use my privilege, (laughs) my power, as the editor and producer and founder of this podcast and I'm just going to straight up choose that we're going to play this episode of Tight Grip and it's a great story in many ways 
one of the ways that it's great is that it's narrated by Tim Curry. And I'll talk more about him after we listen to the story. But he just makes everything great, including this journey that we're going to go on today. And so we should probably just get right on to it. Uh, but I did want to put up a warning. I guess what you know they refer to as a trigger warning. If you are sensitive to stories or tales where they talk about child abuse and children in peril, uh, just be warned that there are elements of that in this story. There's, there's nothing explicit. There's nothing uh, too disturbing. But those elements are in the story. So I just wanted to let people be aware of that before they start listening. I myself and can be sensitive to that depending on the, the way that it's depicted. But I really love the story. So I hope you will too. All right, uh, let's, uh, let me pull up the old Wamperdime radio tuner here. And please come with me as we journey into the harried life of a child prodigy. selective mutism. They can speak, but with most people, they don't. How can you have a relationship with a child who won't speak to you? And she wants to do it. She wants to be the same as everybody else. But to speak a single word to those they love can seem impossible. Dark and 
undaunted, he's undaunted. Tales from the grave. <laughs> Greetings, boils and jewels. This is the creep of all creeps. Your old pal, the Crypt Keeper, here. I promise you, kiddies, your visit to my dreadfully dire date is sure to bring out the beast in you. <laughs> oh, by the way, we're having a most festive party tonight to celebrate this especially scarifying evening. It's going to be a dinner party. Hope you like roadkill. <laughs> Just kidding. Actually... I'll be serving a seven-corpse meal. Yes. <laughs> For dessert, I'll be offering lady fingers. That is, of course, if milady will part with them. <laughs> so tell me, dear Fright Fiends... Are you in the mood for a morbid, macabre, twisted tale about a sweet little girl and her very concerned mummy and daddy? <laughs> well, here's a heaping helping of alimentary anguish for you. Hold on, kiddies, for a terrifying, tawdry tale called Tight Grip. Let me tell you something that may disturb you. You think the world around you is silent and dumb. And for the most part, you are correct. But the world is watching, listening, waiting. Once I knew a traveling magician. You may have heard of him. His name was Ernest Holly Black. And he achieved a kind of minor fame a few decades ago. He wasn't a very good magician, actually, and you wouldn't have heard of him for his great skill. No, Ernest Hollyblack was a disappointed man, and in a thousand bare-bulb hotel rooms in a thousand seedy towns, as darkness lay heavy across America, Holly Black took out that frustration. I heard what happened in those rooms. How he spent his rage at the world upon his daughter. How he locked her inside his magic trunk as punishment for insignificant transgressions. Just like your mother. You're just like your mother. How he hit her in places where it wouldn't show. And what do you know? One day during Holly Black's spectacular water escape, the latches on the false bottom of Holly Black's amazing trunk jammed. Hey, what the hell? Hey! Help! Get me out of here! Help! Help! I can't breathe! The water! The water! Ernest Hollyblack ascended to the glory he was destined for. He drowned on a shabby stage in Poughkeepsie, New York. I thought I had saved his daughter. I thought I had saved little Catherine.
I thought I had given her the second chance most people never get. I was an idiot. For here I sit in the drink once again. Not in a glass tank this time, but 300 feet underwater. I think I'm somewhere between West Seattle and Vashon Island, but I suppose that's not important. I've been here a long, long time, with the cold, dark waters of Puget Sound pressing down upon me. Catherine Holly Black grew up. She married and had a daughter of her own, a daughter she named Kitty. Kitty was a prodigy. She played the violin like an angel. I have always known that magic, most magic, is fake magic. But Kitty made me believe that music is real. And I still believe it. Something has to be true if this tawdry world is to make any sense at all, doesn't it? Doesn't it? So I believed in Kitty. Perhaps she... Noise, Kitty. Please stop playing like that. She loves that violin. I'll get her to stop. No, no, that's okay. Perhaps we should let her finish what she's doing. Kitty! That's better. Now, come out of there and say hello to Dr. Malloy. No need. No, no need. You stay right there where you are, Kitty. Allow me to introduce myself. My name is Samuel Malloy. You can call me Sam. Or you don't have to call me anything at all if you don't want to. That's a lovely violin, Kitty. It's a Stradivarius. Kitty is a concert violinist. One of the best in the country for her age. A prodigy. Like young Mozart, eh, Kitty? What you were playing just now, it sounded like... Well, I'm not sure I've heard anything quite like it before. <laughs> oh, that... Well, that, that was nothing. She's just horsing around, Doctor. Isn't that right, Kitty? When she plays Bach, it, it brings tears to my eyes. Play for Dr. Malloy. No, no, that's really okay. You don't have to, Kitty. She likes the resonance of playing in that trunk, Dr. Malloy. She told me so herself. Oh, she really does speak, Doctor. It's only been since she got home from the last tour that she stopped. How long ago was that? Six weeks. I see. Well, we have just heard her speaking through her violin. This is not a case of a young woman who has cut herself off from all communication with the world. Dr. Malloy is a psychiatrist, Kitty. He's here to help. Actually, I am here to listen. Well, now, Kitty, it isn't entirely true that you're alone in the trunk. Who is this? Oh, that's... that's Mr. Gruffles. I know a 12-year-old shouldn't be hanging on to her teddy bear, Dr. Malloy, but Richard and I, we haven't the heart to take it away from her. Actually, I bought her quite a few dolls and other toys over the years, but she refuses to play with anything but that beat-up old bear. Pleased to meet you, Mr. Gruffles. My name is Sam. That's enough, Kitty. Not now. 
Come on, Kitty. Let's stop. No, I'd like to hear what she has to say. Kitty, come out of the trunk and stop making the doctor Richard, kneel careful. down. The violin. You. Mr. Ashton, that's really not necessary. I'm quite comfortable there, down now. There. Sit in your chair like a grown-up, Kitty. Kitty, I am not here to make you speak once again. I know that you will talk when you are ready. Perhaps when you know what it is you want to say. That is something only you can decide, and nobody can make you do it if you don't want to. In fact, all I really wanted to accomplish today was to meet you and Mr. Gruffles. Well, it is time for me to go. It was very nice to meet you, Kitty. I hope to see you again sometime. Oh, Kitty, really? Can't you at least say goodbye to the doctor? We have already made our farewells. But I did want to tell Mr. Gruffles that I was pleased to make his acquaintance as well. Pleased to meet you, Mr. Gruffles. Well, I suppose I'll be going now. When I return to my... Ah, uh, 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 I'm Mr. Gruffles. How are you today? What? What's this? After today, Mr. Gruffles, I swear that I'm only going to talk to you for the rest of my life. I might as well keep quiet, because you're the only one who listens to anything I say anyway. And you'll always be the one who knows everything about me. I don't care what they say. I know that you're as real as they are. And I'm going to keep you forever. That's great to hear. And remember, Mr. Ruffles loves you very, very much. Fascinating. Yes, it's, it's one of those talking bears with some sort of chip inside it that records what you say when you press a switch in the paw. Catherine bought it for her years ago. I thought it was a piece of junk, but the thing seems to last and last and last. <laughs> Absolutely fascinating. Kitty, thank you. Thank you for playing that for me. I hope we get a chance to meet again real soon. Well, I must be getting back to the office. I will most definitely be in touch. Very well, Doctor. Believe me, we'll spare no expense to get our kitty back in top form again. Yes, yes well, Let's uh, see the doctor out, Richard. Of course. I'll get your coat from the hall closet, doctor. Yes, thank you. Talking to Mr. Gruffles? Kitty, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I shouted at you before. It's just, it's, it's, you don't have to play the violin all the time, you know? Just because your mother wants you to, it doesn't mean you have to. I have an idea to cheer you up, okay? I'll make you an ice cream sundae, and we'll watch a video in the den. Come on, you like it when I make sundaes for you with lots of marshmallow fluff on top? Kitty? There, did I? Was that a smile? That was a smile. I think I saw a smile. Oh, Kitty. 
you so much. Why won't you talk? Why won't you talk to me, Kitty? I spoke to Mom. I, I told her that you don't have to go back on the road again, not if you don't want to. You can choose. Enough talk, all right? <laughs> Come on, let's go get that Sunday. than you've ever done it. I, I felt the joy in the music this time. I'm very, very proud of you. She was amazing. Oh. Congratulations, young lady. I think you've got this competition all signed up. <laughs> if you keep this up, you're going to trounce that baker boy. He's all technique. Putting true feeling into the music is what music is all about, and you've got that, Kitty. Oh, I can't wait to see his mother's face when you win the grand prize. <laughs> what? What? What is it? Honey, what is it you want to say to me? Oh, Kitty. Kitty, you've broken a perfectly good E-string. Yes, all, all right, all right. I, I get it. Something's still not right. But that Bach sonata... The doctor was right. You do speak through your music. You're happy now that we're on the road. <laughs> A mother can tell. Even if you don't know it yourself, you're happy. Hey, is this your traveling trunk lady? It's my daughter's now. Uh, well, where do you want me to put it? Well, where do you suppose? Follow me. Yeah. All right. Ah, oh, gee, slow down, would you? This thing's gonna break my back. It feels like it's bigger on the inside than the outside. To see and not to see. To be always present and never there. Mine has been a curious life. I understood Kitty and her decision not to speak. All right, I admit it. I was her shelter. I thought I knew what she was going through far better than anyone else. Certainly better than her mother. I am an old, old fool. Because, of course, I wasn't always present. Of course not. Once again, there were the hotel rooms. The endless hotel rooms. But this time, the door was shut to me. But I was left in the cold confines of Catherine's station wagon in the rainy parking lot. Kitty, get out of there. Absolutely not. I am not letting my 12-year-old daughter sleep in a trunk in the back of a station wagon in a hotel parking lot in Springfield, Missouri. I wanted to keep Kitty safe at all times, but I couldn't. I couldn't. And Catherine's the reason. Catherine, the little girl I thought I had saved. 
She was beginning to remind me of her father, to remind me of him a great deal. But get your night dress out of there. No, not that one. It's filthy. A pink one. A pink one. I've got your violin and Mr. Brummels. Come on, then. There are a thousand rainy parking lots under the glare of a thousand steaming yellow mercury vapor lights. But Catherine and Kitty, they shared the darkness of the hotel rooms, a darkness into which I was not taken. But I knew the concert halls, the dusty backstage spaces. Kitty played her heart out on the stage. Catherine paced behind the curtain. Magic is fake and music is real, isn't it? For a while, I believed. It was easy to believe when I heard Kitty play the violin. We crossed America, and Kitty played. She remained silent, but she fought. She argued with her violin. She stamped her feet. She played. God, how she played her heart out on the stage. We reached Bridgeport, Connecticut. Then headed back towards Seattle, towards home. But somewhere along the way, the life began to go out of Kitty. And that was when I knew it was happening all over again. That the squalid curse of the Holly Blacks had been passed down to Catherine, despite my best efforts. From Topeka, Kansas. Where the wind beats the wheat like a stroke from the hand of God. You're losing voice, Kitty. Talk to me. The feeling isn't there. You're not feeling the music. To Aspen, Colorado, and the mountains packed full of Gore-Tex, goggles, and sharp tip holes. You look miserable out there, Kitty. The judges want to know that you enjoy the music, that you understand it. I want you to feel it. God damn it, you do. To Jackson Hole, Wyoming, and the played-out crags of the Grand Tetons, where only fool's gold still shines, and on to the badlands of South Dakota. Are you listening to me? Talk to me, Kitty. Talk to me, damn it. To Fargo, North Dakota. To Boise, Idaho, and the Bitterroot Valley. You're driving me crazy, Kitty. You have to talk to me. Do you understand? You're driving me crazy. Thank you, Mr. Baker. That was tremendous. And now the current runner-up in the tour competition, Miss Kitty Ashton, will perform the last movement of Bach's Sonata Number、no. Three for us. Now get out there, Kitty, and feel it. You have the technique. Now feel the music.
and the competition. She didn't What did you do to her on the tour, Catherine? Did you hit her or something? As she listened to her parents argue downstairs, Kitty paced the floor of her room in agitation. But after a while, she stopped and opened me up. She climbed inside as she had so many times before. Still no words, only the violin and Kitty's gentle tears. I held her safe. At least she was home, and I could be with her in her room. Richard at least understood Kitty's cry for help. All was not lost, or so I thought. So I thought. And I held her and whispered to her, just as I had whispered to her mother years before, when her father had locked Catherine inside me. At least you are safe now, little one, I told Kitty's mother, away from him for a time. And once again I tried to comfort a hurting little girl by speaking words of encouragement. Words across the void that separates my world from the cold, uncaring world of blind action and backlash. All will be well, little one. Someone you don't even know loves you and watches over you. You'll never be alone. <laughs> I told her that all would be well. I'm going out for a while. And when I come back, I, I'm taking a far stronger hand in Kitty's upbringing. A far stronger hand. Do you hear me? I swear, I did it. A far stronger hand. I swear, I did it. It has been a decade since Kitty lost the competition and returned home. Ten years I've spent here at the bottom of Puget Sound. I believed I would find a final end here, disintegrate to a skeleton of iron straps and corroded hasps. But I have not rotted yet. And now, someone has found me. 
What a surprise that someone has in store. For I am bigger on the inside than the outside. No, not in a physical way, but in the way that a whisper is more than mere air. In the way that the discovery of a secret can hold within it a larger secret still. Sandy Vashon Island ground behind her house, while across Puget Sound the lights of Seattle glimmered in a distant twinkling sonata, and the night grew chilly, and the ferry boats mourned, and Kitty's grave got deeper and deeper, and Kitty's little body. Lay within my confines, growing colder and colder, <sighs> with a d-string wrapped around her neck. Oh, I hated Catherine Ashton. I hate her still. <sighs> under the ground, waited to be discovered, dug up by the authorities, waited alone with my dear little kitty down there in the dark. But nothing happened. No one found me. And that is when I made my decision. You see, I did once belong to a magician, and something of his art, something that even that poor failure, the amazing Holly Black, was not aware of, wore off on me, wore into me the ability to bridge the gap between the world of being and the world of desire, the world of hard fact and that of the imagination. I imagined that Kitty played on. 
For there she was within me, after all, bundled as Catherine had placed her with her violin. So why not imagine that Kitty awakened? Kitty. Kitty. My child. You have your violin. You can play now and I'll listen. I'll listen to you, Kitty. No matter what you want to play. I'm here, Kitty. I'm here. She began to play. Kitty began to play. And I resonated with her playing. My wooden side sung in sympathetic vibration with her song. And with Kitty's song, I reached across the divide, the divide between desire and being. And I imagined my way into the nightmares of Catherine Holly Black Ashton. And a month later, it was with grim satisfaction that I heard the shovel once again digging me up. Then I once again heard the autumn wind, the night cries of the ferry boat horn. Oh, Catherine struggled to pull me down the path to the beach. I didn't make it easier for her. All the weight of her heart was within me, and she was pulling it along, pulling it along, pulling it along. Lifting me up, sliding. Pushing me into the skip. And paddling away. Paddling away. Thinking she could somehow escape the music. Somehow bury Kitty's music in the cold depths of the sound. In the deep underwater scars carved by merciless glaciers. A hundred thousand winters before. Farther out! Farther out!
You're so cold. I wanted to give you, Mr. Gruffle, to keep you warm. I brought him for you. Here, kitty. Here he is. Here he is. Let me set him in beside you. And then I won't disturb you anymore, my darling. For so long, the sky above was only the distant mirror of the water's surface, hundreds of feet above me. It seems I am to be once again hoisted into the world. But I've done my duty, and whether at the bottom of the sea or in the cold light of the sun, I know that Kitty has been revenged. Not that any of what I did matters. Not that anything has ever mattered since Kitty went away. Oh, I miss Kitty. I miss that child so. All right, there it is. There it is. Bring it over here. Bring it over there on the platform. That's it, to the left. Okay, set it down. Whoa, 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 you're a little off. That's okay, we got it. We got it. Bring her on down. All right, get those chains off. Get them off. Yes, sir. All right, Sid. Let's get your forensic shots, just in case the good doctor here turns out to be right. Got it. So, Judge Ashton, is this your daughter's traveling trunk? I couldn't say. It's so degraded, I mean... Perhaps. This is the trunk, Detective. I recognized it at once. Oh, did you? Did you, Malloy? Well, so what if it is? I have nothing to hide. I want to find out what happened to my wife and child just as much as you do. This will be the last piece of evidence I need. I have spent ten years determined to find the truth. 
Wasted ten years, don't you mean? You vulture. Why can't you leave us be? I've lost everything. Isn't that enough? Not until there is a reckoning for Kitty's death. You do believe in justice, don't you, Judge Ashton? All right, that's enough. Looks like most of the water's drained out from all the holes. Open it up. Yes, sir. Yes. Amazing. Sid, bring the camera. What? What's inside? And that's documented. All right, then let's have a look. Dr. Malloy, Judge Ashton, will you step over here? What do you see? I, I can't. Bones? Skeletal bones. That hand. It's, it's Catherine's. Wedding ring. Her opal ring. We had it made special. I, I can't. I, I can't. Dr. Malloy, you're a medical doctor as well as a psychiatrist, aren't you? What do you make of it? Yes. There's two of them. One an adult, the other a child. But that's not what I'm looking for, Detective. What are you looking for, Doctor? Well, perhaps... Yes. Yes. Here it is. This. What in the world? Do you recognize this, Judge Ashton? What? No. I don't recognize it at all. A skeleton of another sort. Remember, Judge? You bought her other toys, but this is the only one she played with. As you said yourself, it just seemed to last and last. That was left of Mr. Graffles. Rotted away. Perhaps we'll find if the little thing's heart is still intact. What are you doing, Dr. Malloy? If I remember rightly, this is the correct button. Just let me... Ha, ha, ha! I'm Mr. Graffles. How are you today? Good Lord. Some kind of recording chip? You're the only one I can talk to, Mr. Graffles. The only one. I can't tell Mommy what happened. And she thinks it's because of her. But it's not. The closer we got to home, the closer we got to him. And I got scareder and scareder. And I couldn't play and I couldn't talk. I hate to go home. I just hate it. I can't stand what he does to me. How he touches me. I want to stay forever with Mommy on the road. On the road, all there is is the music. I want to always play the music and hear them clap and know that Mommy's waiting and maybe we'll eat at McDonald's on the way to the next stop. That's what I'm going to do. Go play the music somewhere else and wait for Mommy. Then I'll be able to play it just like she wants me to. She's right. I have the feeling inside me. And if I go away and practice and practice, I can make it come out in the music. I'll play it for her when she gets there. But not for him. Never for Daddy. Bye, Mr. Gruffles. I guess I am a little too old to carry you with me everywhere I go. That's great to hear. And remember, Mr. Ruffles loves you very, very much. Good boy. I, I, I protest. I, I... Stay where you are, I, Judge Ashton. I... Boys, get this guy cuffed in Miranda. No! I... Let me go! I... I want to speak to my lawyer! Well, 
Dr. Malloy, that uh, is about the most surprising... Detective, the trunk! It's sliding off the platform there. You there, secure that chain. Come on, John. I, I can't grab it. I can't grab the blasted thing. It's too wet. Stop. It's sinking, carrying the bodies all these years I've been searching. It's all right, Doctor. We have your other evidence on file. And that recording. Oh, well. Kitty did love that old trunk. There are things hidden in the depths of the ocean, better left undisturbed. No, hell, strike that. Of course, such talk is pretty much rubbish. We find what we find, and what is lost is not lost due to any heavenly agency or the workings of fate. It's all random. The push of molecule against atom until a man looks this way instead of that. A woman pushes the red rather than the green button. And then the world changes. You think the sky hangs with portents and the seas flow with mystery? Take a lesson from one who has been around a while. A very long while. The workings of our world are aimless, erratic, and haphazard. And that is the true horror in this life. Worse than all the demons and monsters conjured by the imagination to explain the desultory spread of all that is frightfully realistic. But I'm old and very battered. You shouldn't put too much stock in anything I have told you. On the other hand, what choice do you have when I am the only one who might hold the answer to the questions? what answers there are in this rouged-up world, where behind the brightest sky is the blue-black void of a bruise. Oh, I miss Kitty. Kitties, how's that for a tug on the old heartstrings? <laughs> Makes you just want to cry your eyes out over poor Kitty. If you do, pick those baby blues up quickly and pop them right back in your head. Because I'm afraid my pet rat Wally is quite the connoisseur. He thinks eyeballs are a delicacy and taste just like caviar. Personally, I think they taste a lot more like chicken. <laughs> well, creeps, you can count on me to return soon with another delicious dollop of dread to satisfy your appetite for the terminally morbid. <laughs> Until then, I'll leave you with this bit of Crypt Keeper wisdom. Surround yourself with lots and lots of friends, kiddies. For as we say around the crypt, the morgue, the merrier. <laughs> uh -oh.
So there you go. There's the episode of Tight Grip from the Tales from the Crypt radio series as presented by Seeing Ear Theater. Stories like this are why I love audio storytelling. There's something about hearing a story like this and being drawn in to the story and the characters and just enjoying the journey and really feeling satisfied at the end of the story. That, that's how I felt about this story. And of course, a lot of that is extremely helped by having Tim Curry as the narrator of this story. He just brings something extra <laughs> to this for me. And hopefully you like my choice. I didn't give my Patreon members an opportunity to vote for which episode of Tales from the Crypt we're going to put on this. And so I hope you liked my choice. I hope you enjoyed this story. And I will give you a chance to vote next year. There's there's more episodes of this. And I will put it out for a poll next year. Or maybe I won't wait till October. Maybe I'll do it again at some other point. But I think it would be fun to make this an annual tradition. That every October we'll play an episode of the Tales from the Crypt. <laughs> And I really loved uh, Tim Curry's narration of this story. I think he just brought something extra to it and loved the way he told this story. And I want to know, so please contact me and let me know when you figured out that Tim Curry was this trunk and that it, this inanimate object, this magic trunk, had a personality and was telling this story and was able to interact with its environment. I love these kinds of stories. I love the the magical object or the supernatural object that affects the people around them. But I think it's I think your enjoyment of this story might depend on where you figured out that he was the trunk. Was it at the very end? Was it somewhere in the middle? For me it was somewhere in the middle or maybe a little after the middle of the episode and I'm like, "Oh, he, <laughs> and maybe you knew right from the beginning, maybe you're smarter than I am or more keen on these uh, narrative devices. Um, but once I figured it out, and then I was able to listen to the rest of the story and just enjoy that with that knowledge of how the, the trunk was helping Kitty. And I really thought that the twist worked well. I thought they... You know, they gave us that one scene where the father or stepfather, I can't remember which he was, you know, comes in after the the mom's all upset that she's not playing her music good enough. And the dad comes in and talks to Kitty and says, you know, it'll it'll be all right. We'll we'll stop for a while or whatever. Let's go have some ice cream. And we have that little scene and that's our clue that, hey, something might not be right between this dad and his little girl. But it's not enough. There's no incriminating evidence in there. But it kind of stands alone, and you wonder why there's just, just this one scene with him. I, I guess he was there with the psychiatrist as well. So, But anyway, it's early enough in the story where you forget about it because you're carried away by everything else that's going on. And then at the end, there's the twist where we learn that the reason for her melancholy and her sadness isn't that her mother is forcing her to play this music and, and 
go to all these shows around the country, it's because they're getting closer to home and she doesn't want to be with her dad because she knows that he's going to molest her. And that was a pretty powerful twist to me. And it was a fun reveal. It was fun to, you know, once again, they placed this little teddy bear that she has that records and plays back what she says. They put that at the beginning of the story, and then they hearkened back to it. It's, to me, this is, this is a master class in storytelling, and I enjoyed it a lot. <laughs> I guess you could probably tell. And it, this kind of a story makes me want to write better, and it makes me want to write, period. Because I want to come up with a story like this. I want to grab the audience. I want them to care. I want them to be surprised by the reveal. I want them to have a sense of closure, but also... It's not a happy ending, right? The girl did die. The mother did kill her, so... The mother wasn't a saint, but then the mother died too. <laughs> and, you know, the, the dad could have got away scot-free, but there was that little bit of evidence that was planted, and uh, that was great. I, I, I liked it a lot. And again, like I said, probably this is the fourth time I've said it, I thought Tim Curry's narration of this just brought so much to it. He's, he's a great actor, whether it's being a voice actor or a, an actor in a movie. I was trying to think back to when, what, what was my first Tim Curry experience? When did I first see him in a movie or hear him? And it has to be when he played Rooster in the movie Annie back in the, was it 81? When Annie came out, it's the one where Albert Finney is the uh, Daddy Warbucks. And Carol Burnett is Miss Hannigan. And Tim Curry plays Rooster, who's Miss Hannigan's brother, who's up to no good, and comes up with the idea of pretending to be Little Orphan Annie's parents and so that they could get the money. And he was great in that. <laughs> and of course, it's a musical, so he sings in that. But of course, later on, I did learn, you know, when I was exposed to Rocky Horror Picture Show, then... I caught up with everybody. <laughs> I mean, that's why he was so famous. That was his most memorable role, right, as Frankfurter, the uh, transvestite in Rocky Horror Picture Show. And that's what put him on the map. Uh, but yeah, he's great in everything he does. Even a movie like Congo, which isn't that great all around, even though I enjoyed the Michael Crichton book, he's the best part of that movie as well. But of course, he was Pennywise the Clown in the TV miniseries adaptation of Stephen King's It!, he was in Clue. I mean, what would Clue be without Tim Curry? And he does a lot of voice work, and just everything that he does is great. Muppets Treasure Island, He's he was a great Long John Silver, and perfect for the tone of that movie. So yeah, I, I enjoy Tim Curry and, and everything that he's he's involved with. But yeah, what, what, tell me what you thought of this story. I, I, I liked that it was creepy, and it was horrific. But it wasn't necessarily blood and gore, and there was there was a good story behind it. And again, it it, it, it was well crafted for an audio telling of the story. That, and that's why, again, that's that's why I enjoy podcasting. It's why I enjoy um, audio production because there's so much you can do with the audio, and it's it's a lot of fun. I hope this adds to your enjoyment of October. I enjoy October. I enjoy this time of year for for a lot of different reasons. Just I like the the Christmas in the mornings, but it's not cold all the time. I like the uh, the dark mornings 
you know, it reminds me of football and I will be bringing you another journey this month. It'll be a, a production of my own story that I finished up last year and I'm going to be presenting it here on the show for you. So that'll be fun. I'm having fun with the production of that. And yes, just in case you were wondering, I am still working on the uh, production of Backtalk, which was the first place winner of the Journey into Journey contest that I did uh, last year. I have to finish that by the end of the year because that's I said I would do it by the end of 2021. So um, I'll be bringing that to you at some point as well. And of course, I'll be back with more old time radio stuff. So until next time, kids, stay safe out there and journey on. The Journey Into Podcast is produced under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license, which means that you can share it as much as you would like, but please do not change it or profit from it. And please let people know where you got it from. The theme music for this podcast is provided by Man in Space. <laughs>